We're talking in John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. If you've been watching the television a fortnight ago from the lush greens of St Andrews, you would have seen some fine golf being played. You would have seen the number 150 displayed on the stands. And you would have also seen some words which were written in all the stands, and it said this, everything has led to this. You might just have caught that. What we're about to read is for an unnamed fellow who went down in history, everything has led to this. If you have your Bible in whatever form, we're on John 5, verses 1 through 15. It's a great story. And we share it together. The healing at the pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they were waiting for the moving of the waters from time to time. An angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? What a question. Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day in which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. God's word, the most important part of our discussion this morning. This pool is situated in the northeast corner of the city of Jerusalem. A few years ago, Agnes and I had the privilege of visiting Jerusalem and going to this very site. And as with all the historical sites, there's now a church adjacent to it called St. Anne's Church. And we had gone to the pool and looked around and just got a mental picture of what could have happened there as we surveyed the ruins of that particular place. And then we went into the church. And there was a priest in the door welcoming people in. And he heard the accent. And he said, you must be Scottish. Good thinking, I said. Yes, we are. And I gathered from his accent he was a Scottish man too. Turned out he came from Rutherglen. And so we ended up talking Farmland Road in Rutherglen, and I told him my dear wife was a midwife at one time in Rutherglen Maternity, and my three sons were there. And so we chatted on until I heard the megaphone shouting, 
with Willie Hutchinson please return to the bus. We'd kept on talking. But the purpose was that he was there to share some of the incidents that had happened around his pool. He was a godly fellow. And as I picked up later on the way out, he was telling people, do you know what happened here? And he would refer to this particular chapter in God's Word. So it's a real place. It involved real people. It's historical because if you go back to the book of Nehemiah, you'll find in chapter 3 and chapter 12, the sheep gate that we read about is mentioned. See, the Bible isn't, uh, isn't fiction. It's true. Everything in the Bible is absolutely true historically. And real people, real incidents, and real places because there was eyewitnesses to this. You would gather through the reading that the fellow had been ill for about 38 years. The program on the TV just uh, finished this week. I wonder if his good friends became neighbours. That was how long he had been lying there, ill and affected with his illness. But this incident that was performed on the Sabbath, it was important that uh, John recorded that for us. Because you see, as Warren Wearsby, the commentator, says, this started the official persecution of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, Jesus would go on to deliberately heal a blind man on the Sabbath. In chapter 11, he would go on to raise Lazarus from the dead, which then brought the religious rulers of the day totally against our lovely Lord Jesus Christ, the official persecution. Why do I say that? Because you see, as long as we talk about God, it seems to be acceptable. There'll be almost 90,000 people in Wembley this afternoon singing God Save the Queen. And rightly so. In Birmingham on Thursday evening, they did exactly the same. Thousands were mentioning the name of God without even giving it a second thought. But you see, as soon as you bring Jesus Christ into the equation, it seems to rankle and upset people, as it did with the rulers at that day. You might find it in our present day and generation, we can talk about God. You remember Paul when he went to Mars Hill, I think it's Acts 17, they found a a plaque that said, to the unknown God, they were perfectly willing to talk about things, but then Paul brings in Jesus. Stephen, the first Christian martyr in AD 34, again you'll read this story in Acts, he was giving them a history lesson, he was telling them all that had happened in the Old Testament, etc., and then he said, and then I see Jesus. And what happened? They lost the plot and started to stone him. You see, as long as you talk about God, that's okay. But bring Jesus into it, and it becomes personal. I wonder if you have that personal relationship with Jesus this morning. We accept that God is there, perhaps, but Jesus becoming personal, this is where the fellow was going to get involved. He hadn't necessarily been lying there for 38 years, he just said he'd been ill for 38 years. That's a long time. Many folks in a similar position have been beside him, and we read that something miraculous happened, some get healed from time to time. Healing's a tough call, isn't it? 
Some of us have prayed for healing for others for a long time and it's not happened. We, we still look back to the days when our son Gordon was in hospital with tra- heart transplant and cancer. And what we can't understand is why some of these boys that Gordon was in the ward with didn't come out, but he did. Folks were praying for them. Healing's a tough call. It affects every family. It's not a cop-out to use the words from Genesis 18 and 25, will not the judge of the earth do right? Our role is to pray. Our role is to encourage. Our role is to be alongside folks, but ultimately our gracious God will take a decision. Healing's a tough call. And then in verse 6, it comes to that wonderful question, do you want to get well? Now, you would have thought he would have immediately said yes. When we got the call from the transplant coordinator in Newcastle all these years ago and said, do you want to come down? We didn't say, well, actually, I'm just going out to the Alpha course. We didn't say, well, actually, we've got a fairly busy day tomorrow. Could you put it off till next week? No. We're good to go. But do you know what happened to this fellow? He started to make excuses. Did you know it's that? He said, well, actually, he didn't know who he was talking to at the time. He said, well, actually, what happens is this. I always seem to miss the opportunity. When the waters are stirred, I can't quite manage into the pool, and I always seem to miss it every time. It almost as though he was wallowing in some form of self-despair. That can affect any of us. Let me be gracious and kind and say this. Some are paralyzed by what has happened before in our lives. It could be a broken relationship. It could be a financial loss. It could be a deep hurt. It could be a family breakdown. And we're actually, when we think about it, we're paralyzed by that. We live with the consequences of it. And no matter how hard we try, it keeps coming back and affecting us. You know what Jesus says to us this morning? Do you want to get well? What a great line. And he asks that to each of us. It might be emotional, it might be spiritual, it might be physical. Jesus keeps coming back and saying, do you want to get well? Some of us are old enough to remember an old gospel hymn that said, when we walk with the Lord, and there's a chorus that says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Do we? Is that how we find ourselves in church this morning? We're really trusting. We're really obeying. We're really following Jesus. Sometimes it's so messed up, we just can't see the way forward. Let me tell you about Rod. Rod's dad was a policeman, which is pretty ironic due to the path Rod would take later in life. Growing up, Rod went to church regularly with his mum and his older sister. Church was a big part of their lives. Despite this, Rod never showed an interest in having a personal relationship with Jesus. He thought being a Christian would be boring and sad. Life moves on. Rod gets in with the wrong crew. He becomes addicted to drugs and to gambling and all sorts of issues. Rod's family became very worried at the person he'd become. He was unrecognizable to them. They were hurt. And the only thing his parents could do was to pray and to trust 
Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Rod's mum didn't stop praying, but things got worse before they got better. Ever had that in your family? Well, things seem to get worse before they get better. He ended up in prison. And in his prison cell, he saw a Gideon Bible up in the shelf. He took it down and started to read it. And Rod decided to see if this Jesus was the real deal that he was reading about. Locked up in his prison cell, he knelt in the hard, cold floor and leaned over in his bed. He cried out to God for forgiveness and asked Jesus to become his Lord and his Saviour. Rod knew his prayers had been answered and felt a love and peace fill his heart like he had never experienced before. He knew God had a plan for his life and felt hope for the first time. Amen? Amen. God is still working. Trust and obey. So don't give up praying for your family. Don't give up praying for yourself. For the past decade, Rod has worked as an evangelist for the charity Christians Against Poverty and has had the privilege of leading personally many folks and their clients to the Lord. Our God's a good God. He's still working. Did you notice in verse 8 it says, pick up your mat and walk. It's a throwaway line, but it's important. Pick up your mat and walk. We've been blessed that we haven't really been affected by COVID. I know some folks who have, and it's left them feeling pretty weak, and to use a very medical term, wobbly, on their feet. Can you imagine this fellow who had been lying down for 38 years, all of a sudden been asked to pick up his mat and walk? What's the point? The point is this. When Jesus works, he does a complete job. You remember the words Jesus said on the cross? Three very important words. It is finished. You see, it wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a cry of complete victory. He had won the victory over death and hell and the grave. It is finished. Our Jesus is the victor. And because of that... Nothing more needs to be done. We can trust them completely. Just a word of caution. Beware of those who imply that it's Jesus plus something in order to gain salvation. Romans 10 and 9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. No ifs, no buts. And so we come to Jesus and we trust him completely. And just in case... He thought he would come back. Jesus told him to take his mat. It was like a, maybe a comfort blanket to him. He'd been with him forever. Remember our children used to have comfort blankets that they carried around all over the place? Maybe this mat was just that for that fellow. And Jesus told him to pick it up and take it away. There's another old song that goes like this. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. It doesn't say, perhaps I'll turn back. It doesn't say, well, I'll give it a try and see what happens and I might turn back. It says, no turning back. John 6, verse 66 says this, many turned back and no longer followed him. I wonder if we've been in that situation where we've been tempted to turn back if we've known Jesus and we've lost interest, grown cold, this fellow was told, take your mat and walk because you're not coming back to where you were. Have you ever wondered about the validity of giving out a little gospel leaflet? 
can be quite difficult to do that sometimes, particularly as I see the folks in Sucky Hall Street almost every day doing that and the abuse they get and just ignored. Well, sometimes it just works. Here is a lady who was writing at a real time of crisis at the door of a little mission hall. I was handed a religious card which said, always go forward, never turn back. The words meant so much. She still has that card and she still follows on. No turning back. There was something else that helped the authorities at the time, and that was the fact that they had a list of 39 things that people couldn't do on the Sabbath. I remember my parents had quite a list of things we couldn't do on a Sunday. Maybe you remember that. Riding a bike. Watching the telly. Reading the paper. You know the annoying thing? Doing homework was not included in that list. <laughs> Always amazed me that. When I, get, when I get to glory, I'll ask them about that one. But they had 39 things that you couldn't do on a Sunday, or on the Sabbath. And one of them was carry a burden. And carrying the mat was a burden. By the way, beware of legalism. There's a book that's called The Paralysis of Legalism, and it says this. One of the most serious problems facing the Christian church today is a problem of legalism. One of the most serious problems facing the church in Paul's day was the problem of legalism. And every day it is the same. Legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer, and with the joy of the Lord goes his power for vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. This truth is betrayed, and the glorious name of the Lord Jesus becomes a synonym for a gloomy killjoy. The Christian under law is a miserable parody of the real thing. Dear friends, avoid legalism. We've got a little plaque that sits beside the TV in our front room. We picked it up in Keswick. It was great to hear Alistair Begg last week, by the way, once of this parish, uh, using the live link and just listening in to him. But uh, they've now moved to the pencil factory in, the, in Keswick, but they were previously in Skidaw Street in the tent. Many of you will have been there. And you may well have passed the little uh, sales area outside, uh, I think it was a Methodist church, with the sold wooden plaques with all sort of inscriptions on it. And my favourite verse is on one of them, and we picked it up. It's John 8, 36, and it says this, When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. That's the joy we have in Jesus Christ. We're free, avoid legalism at all costs. What did Jesus say? He was talking about other people. Matthew chapter 7, I think it was, he was saying this. Why do you... uh, Talk about the, uh, plank, uh, the speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a great big plank in your own eye. We're always pretty good at looking at other folks, aren't we? We're always pretty good at examining them and saying, ah, but, without looking inwardly. Avoid legalism. Avoid judgment. And keep following Jesus. And just as I come to a close, there's this. There's, there's no evidence to suggest, actually, this fellow became a full follower of Jesus Christ. 
doesn't tell us he was converted, doesn't say he became one of the disciples. He actually accepted all the benefits that the Lord had to give, but perhaps he just wasn't willing to follow. It's a bit like today. God gives good gifts to everybody, the just and the unjust. You'll find if you read through the Psalms, David gets pretty annoyed about that as he goes through the Psalms, that why should the evil and the unjust get the same benefits as those who try and follow him? We may have attended church. We may have benefit of a Christian family. We may enjoy the friendship of many who would claim to be Christians. And yet individually, we are where we started. We don't have this personal relationship with Jesus because it comes just a bit too personal. And so he invites us this morning to get well, as it were. To come to know him. To trust him. And to follow him. In whatever context that might mean for you. I've always enjoyed the quotes by John Newton, the slave trader who got well spiritually and came to know Christ. He was asked what heaven was like and what he thought about it. And he said this as he looked forward to heaven. He said, I'll be surprised by who is there who I did not think would be there. He then went on to say, I'm surprised who is not there, who I thought would be. But then he said, the thing I'm most surprised about at all is that I'm there. Because Christ sorted my life and converted me and I'm ready to meet my God. So do we want to get well this morning? Not physically, but spiritually. And keep following Jesus. This fellow, his life was changed. Everything had led to this, and his life would never be the same again. My prayer is, as you think about uh, uh, events in the days to come, that this church will know good things, know God's leading, no turning back, and keep following. And we're going to sing that lovely hymn, Amazing Grace, that John Newton wrote, the fellow who we've just quoted. Thank you, band.